Romans chapter 4. We've been talking about justification by faith for several weeks now, uh, since chapter 3, verse 21. And Paul's been explaining what it means to be justified uh, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Uh, he's been defending it. He's been illustrating it through the lives of such as Abraham and David. And he continues to use Abraham because Abraham had such a prominent place in the minds of the Jews. He was the father of Judaism, but he was the father of us all, is what Paul is letting them know. Uh, you trust in your father Abraham. I can't help it when I say that. I have to do this, you know, Father. But, uh, uh, you know, those of y'all who know the song, those of you who don't, I'm not doing it for you, okay? But uh, when we think that they, they trusted, but Father Abraham is the father of all who believe. Not all who are Jews, but all who believe. All who trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, today I've entitled the message, The Promise Settled and guaranteed the promise settled and guaranteed and that's what Paul is uh, teaching today about justification through faith is that for those who believe the promise is settled to be theirs and it's guaranteed to all who believe and it's guaranteed forever we went to the ball game the other night Friday night and we stayed uh, there in Frisco with Jacob and Caitlin and Piper I put them in that order because Piper doesn't own the house but she's the reason we were at the house and so Piper is our one-year-old granddaughter and we don't get to see her much because for whatever reason, my son has chosen to live in the urban jungle called Frisco, all right? And you have to pass, by, pass through a lot of jungle to get there, you know? There's tons of wickedness and wicked people who live there, and so I don't like going. But my granddaughter would draw me in. And so we went there, and we, like I said, we hadn't got to see her much, but it takes a little while for her to warm up a little bit, but when she does, you know, it's... It's all about Papa. And uh, no, it's really about Nana and Papa. She's just over one years old, but one year old, but she can communicate. And there are some things that she does, and she will want something, just like everyone. We all want something, don't we? And we contrive ways of getting it. Ways that get us into trouble, yes? And then there's just the simple act of faith to ask for it. And so when Piper wants something, she does this. It means please. And so she just rubs her little tummy like that. Of course, my response to that is, whatever you want, you know. She's asking. She's believing. 
that someone is going to give her what she needs. Now, like every other human being in the world, once you receive something you like that is good, what do you want? You want more, and that's what you'll do. Usually that's more beans, okay? Squished, mashed, refried beans. She ate more than I did yesterday of refried beans. And you just kind of look over there, and she looks at her mama, and she'll go, I know how to give good things. Of course, when you eat beans, you get thirsty because they have salt and everything. And so she has this little thing like this. It's water. Something to drink. She's still working on this one. I think I only saw her do it once. Thank you. Gratitude. Man, we just walk through what justification does, right? We receive it by faith. Once you have it, all you want's more. And your heart turns to praise gratitude. Paul, in teaching this, is helping us and helping the the believers in Rome to understand that everything that they had in Christ Jesus, everything that they had in salvation, all the eternal life that they hoped in was not because of them, but because of a living, loving God who freely gave them, and called them to belief in Jesus Christ. If it's anything other than that, it is not sure. You can have no certainty and you can have no assurance if salvation has any part of you in it that's what Paul's teaching if any part of salvation depends upon me I can't be certain I know how fallible I am thankfully the salvation that we know the grace that we have received is all of God. And so he is communicating this. And so the question of the day is this. He's told us what justification is. He's defended that justification has always been by faith, not by works. He's proved that out by speaking of Abraham, who uh, existed before the law and had no law to do. So he's told us all these things. He's let us know that it's not about being a Jew or a Gentile. 
It's not about practicing Jewish rites. And today, we want to look at it, this question. Why is justification by faith? Why isn't it by works? Why isn't it by something that we do? And Paul is explaining that today in verses 16 and 17. And so I want us to consider that question, and in doing so, consider these three things. First of all, the law brings wrath. Why is justification by faith? Because the law brings wrath. Secondly, why is justification by faith? Because grace is only in accord with faith. It only rests in faith. It only finds agreement in faith. Thirdly, grace guarantees the promise. Grace guarantees the promise. So let's begin with the first thing. Why is justification by faith? Because the law brings wrath. In verse 13, we looked at last week, it says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherence of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is nullified or null, and the promise is void. There is no promise if it comes through the law. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. The law and obedience to the law generates nothing except God's wrath. Obeying the law does not generate and bring forward the love of God. The law and obeying the law or trying to obey the law or not obeying the law only brings wrath. It says right there, for the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. I like that place, no law. Don't you? Where there's no law, there's no transgression. There's nothing. I mean, where is the Audubon in the United States? Where there are no speed limit signs. I hear in West Texas, the speed limit signs say like 80 or 85, something like that. Oh. Because you know that the law is, the speed limit is 85. 
but there's 10 miles per hour of grace. Isn't that, isn't that how it goes? No? Okay, none of you teenage drivers listen to me. Where there's no law, there's no transgression. There's nothing to break. If justification is by works of the law, no one will be justified. Because where there is law, this is both, it's not theoretical, it is factual. And on my part, it is experiential. That where there is law, there is law breaking. Anybody ever broke a law? It's pretty bad when the preacher's the only one that holds his hand up. But you throw a law in there, and guess what? That's all I want to do. That's what Paul said. Man, I read the law. It said, don't covet. All I saw in me was coveting when I saw that. Tell a two-year-old, don't touch that. What's a two-year-old going to do? Y'all know. Not only are they going to touch it, they're going to dare you about it. Y'all know what they do? Go and make the law, make the rule, see what happens. It can't be by the law. Grace does not correspond with the law. Grace doesn't do that. What happens to that two-year-old? There's some form of wrath that's going to come down on that two-year-old. Especially since the looking me in the eye in doing it is willful disobedience. That brings a bigger hammer. I don't use a hammer in discipline in any, any of my children. Never did. It's figurative. It brings a bigger hammer. The law does not correspond in any way with grace. That's what Paul said. So why is justification by faith? First thing, where there's the law, there's law breaking. And that doesn't correspond with grace. So the second thing we need to look at is this. Grace is only in agreement with, corresponds with, and accord with faith. Verse 16, that is why 
It depends on faith. Let's stop. Because there's an it there. What is it? I want us to define that for a moment. Let's look at Romans chapter 4. Speaking of Abraham being justified not by works but by faith. In chapter 4 of Romans it says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Look at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 14. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. It came through the righteousness of faith it depends on faith what does righteousness and how are we declared righteous justification declaration counted as that being imputed to us that is why Righteousness or justification depends on faith. It relies upon faith. God's promise, this says, justification depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace what promise i made you the father of many nations through you all the nations will be blessed what's this speaking of it's speaking of salvation to all peoples all kinds of peoples all the nations so this promise that he made and this promise is coming through Isaac, we'll look at that later. But he made this promise. I make you a father of many nations, of all the nations. That promise rests on grace. This is why justification depends on faith. Because the promise rests on grace, and grace does not correspond with wrath. Grace corresponds with faith. Nothing else it corresponds to in the human person. 
The idea here is that of a solid foundation. What does the promise rest on? That word rest, by the way, is the Greek word kata, K-A-T-A, transliterated. It's speaking of downward. It's a preposition that is talking about something, how something sits on something else and how it applies pressure downward. It's like just sitting down. You sit down on something that will support your frame, your weight. The promise rests on grace, not works of the law. Why? It's like quicksand. The promise would just fade away. That's why the promise doesn't exist if it's on the basis of works. All the way to the promise of God rests comfortably and fits perfectly on grace. It rests without any thought what it's sitting on, giving way. Any puzzle workers here? You like puzzles? We work puzzles occasionally. I'm not talking about the ones that you do on your device. I'm talking about physical puzzles that you put them together and there's a picture. Now, there are some puzzles I've discovered. I'm not a big puzzle person, but I like working them at times. And I brought a puzzle home one time, and all the pieces are the same shape. Whoops. All the pieces are the same shape. Different picture. Same shape. Now, here's the thing. I can work that puzzle. All I got to do is just sit there and start sticking pieces in. Now, I don't know what the picture's going to look like, but I can get all the pieces together, right? But God's promise fits well on grace, it interlocks and interconnects. And the picture is not that of chaos, but a picture of glory. A picture of beauty. A picture that you can see. That you can make out. You know what it is. That's what's being talked about here. When they're using this word rest. It corresponds with. And what corresponds with grace, God's grace, in us, is not what we do, but believing Him. The pieces fit together. And what the puzzle is on 
is solid and sure and true. That's why it depends on faith. Because the promise needs to rest on something that corresponds. with humanity and that's faith not works you want to look at this in another way the only the only other thing of god so we're talking about god's grace rests on god's grace the promise rests on god's grace that will not give way and if it corresponds perfectly with faith the only other thing of God in this text is his wrath. And the promise doesn't correspond with his wrath. Wrath is on the basis of what is due. Look back up, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Y'all know what as is? You know how you can read that? Let me say it this way. Now to the one who works, his wages do not rest as a gift, but rest as his due. Or is in accordance with his due. His work produces something, what he is due. Now, y'all have jobs, you know. Okay, some of you kids, y'all looked at me and said, okay, I don't have a job. Okay, well, that's all right. And when we work, we expect to receive what is due. And in our economy, that's a good thing. Right? Everybody wants what they're due. If you do a job that's worth $1,000, you don't want the guy to come up and say, you know what, that's a great job. You did good. Here's 25 bucks. What are you going to do? Oh, you're going to expect what's due, aren't you? You're going to find a way to get the rest of that money. Don't make me do the math on that. I think it's $975, though. You're going to find a way to get the rest of that money. You want what is due you. Right? In the economy of eternity, and in the economy of God's plan of salvation, you do not want what you are due. You don't want justice. You want mercy. You want grace. You don't want what you deserve. You want something greater than that. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 
To work is to receive in accordance what is due. To believe is in accordance with receiving what is not yours as yours. Namely, Christ's righteousness. What is due to each of us according to what we do? God's wrath. What is received through faith, however? Righteousness. Isn't that great? Righteousness. I don't have to do anything for it. I have to believe God for it. God made a promise. He made a promise. And what does he do when he makes a promise? He keeps it. We don't, but he does. Wouldn't it be weird, maybe not weird, tragic, if the plan was, if you will promise me not to sin anymore, I'll save you. What would we do? I promise, sure, I'll promise. How long are you going to keep that one? How long would we keep that promise? Would it be seconds? Could you make it a day? I'm so thankful that it's not on what I do, but on what I believe, what I trust in, who I trust in. That's God's grace. Him giving us what's not our due. God's grace, God's undeserved strength working against what we are due and working for what is unmerited being applied to those who believe. That's a little bit tougher than God's riches at Christ's expense. But let me read it again. Grace, God's grace, is God's undeserved strength working against what we are due and working for what is unmerited being applied to those who believe. Faith, not works, is the only thing in us that is corresponds with God's grace. It's the only thing. Works is not in accordance with grace because we get what is due. That's right. Faith is a conduit for righteousness into our life that brings life, eternal life. Why is justification by faith? First of all, because the law brings wrath. Second of all, because grace is only in accord with faith. It's only in line. It only corresponds to faith. There's nothing else it can correspond to. Thirdly, grace guarantees the promise. 
Look at verse 16. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only Jews, but also Greeks or Gentiles. So it can be guaranteed. It's guaranteed. What is justification, the promise, righteousness, salvation. That's what's going on here. It's the plan of salvation. It's the gospel. It's being saved through the seed of Abraham, who is Jesus Christ, and him alone. It it depends on faith because the promise is guaranteed through faith. It's guaranteed by God. To guarantee is to verify or consider certain that which is stated, that which is said. In verse 17, we're reminded by Paul what God said to Abraham. Look what he says. Let me finish uh, verse 16. It says uh, that... That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be uh, guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, the Jew, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into the existence the things that do not exist. God said, I have made you the father of many nations. This was in context in Genesis chapter 17 of him making known to Abraham who had a son named Ishmael that was born when he was 75 years old. And God is talking to Abraham, and he's letting him know, I want you to know you're the father of many nations. That's what your name means. And Sarah, you're going to call her something different because she's the mother of many nations. She's going to give birth to many nations. She's going to be the one through whom this promised one comes through. Abraham says, man, can't we just go with Ishmael? No. No. No, we're not going with Ishmael because Ishmael is not the child I promised. I'm making you a promise today that I'm going to make you the father of many nations through a child you're going to have or Sarah's going to have in about a year. Abraham fell down and started laughing, okay? All right? I mean, he, he was just kind of like, you got to be kidding me, right? You know I'm 100, right? Do you know how old Sarah is? She's like 90. I mean, he's talking to God. And so he gets a big laugh out of it. Sarah gets a big laugh out of it. Guess what? In a year. Okay? There's a son. I'm telling you, Abraham, you're going to have a son in a year. And it's this child. 
through whom I am making the covenant, the promise, not Ishmael. He said, you know what? You, you had that child, Ishmael. And look at the last 25 years and how much has gone awry in your life. And I waited 25 years to fulfill my promise because I wanted you to get to a place where it could only be me giving it to you. Giving you the promise and guaranteeing the promise. Where it's only me. Well, we do that with our hard times, don't we? Find our own way to do it. And then pay the price for the next 5, 10, 25 years. Many nations. Here's this guarantee, Abraham. You're going to have a son. And his name's going to be Isaac. And it's through that son. It's through him. He's the promise. And he's pointing to a greater promise. My son, Jesus Christ. The one in whom we are to believe. To trust. Can you imagine... That at one point, God said, take Isaac, your son, and take him to the mountain, sacrifice him there. Can you imagine how Abraham felt? I don't have a kid. How are you going to make me a father of many nations? Look what it says. He said this in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead. Who gives life to the dead. Abraham was as good as dead, the scripture says, when God said, you're going to have a son. <laughs> He's good as dead. Sarah, good as dead. And a year later, they have a son. But you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. All of you were dead at one point. Spiritually dead. All you knew were the ways of the prince of the power of the air. It's all you knew. All you knew was to try to find your pleasure and your joy and anything that was good in sin. The best you could do did not please God. Because the only way to please Him is faith. You couldn't do it. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. You walked in them. It's all you knew.
Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Right after Paul lets us know that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And look what he adds. By grace... You have been saved. Hallelujah. Not by works, not by circumcision, not by anything, but grace. And how does that come about? Through faith. Remember what it says back in verse 17 who gives life to the dead? I'm going to tell you justification. Is by grace, through faith, and there's no other way. I mean, it's only by means of Jesus laying down his life. Of Jesus paying the price for sin. Of Jesus being buried and rising again. Only on the basis of him. Can we be saved? Nothing else. Dead. Some of you are still dead. Some of you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. You say, well, what do you mean? You mean I sin too much? No. I mean you're dead. Some of you here may be dead in your trespasses and sins, meaning that you do not know Jesus Christ, that you have not been redeemed, that uh, you have not come to know Him in a saving way. And if it's true that you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you must believe Jesus Christ who died for you. You must trust Him and Him alone. You must call on the name of the Lord and be saved. There's no other way. You won't be good enough. You can't be good enough. You're dead in trespasses and sins. You can't get to God. You won't get to God. Even if you could, that wouldn't be what you choose. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. But what does it say there? Even when you were dead in your trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Is he stirring your heart now and making you alive in Christ? Is he making you away where I'm dead? Dead people aren't aware they're dead unless the power of the living God who gives life awakens them to see it and believe it. 
He can do that. I'm dead, perhaps, you're saying. You only know that's true because he made you alive enough to know it. And now believe him. Call on him. Because he makes that which is dead live. He makes you live. Trust him. Cast all your sin on him. And receive him. The last thing it says there that I'll mention. And I'll just be able to mention it. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. I need another 20 minutes. How about it? No? Okay. Things that don't exist. I mean, that's what Abraham was believing in. That's who was speaking to him. Someone who makes things that aren't be. That's philosophy talk. But things that do not exist become from nothing to something. From brokenness to healing to mending to newness. I'm so glad God saves me by grace through faith. Do y'all know how God keeps us? Well, isn't it through sanctification, Rick? No. Sanctification is something that those who are justified do. (laughs) And trust me, it comes at different paces. The justified will be sanctified and will be glorified. But God doesn't keep you because you do something. He didn't save you because he did, you did something. He doesn't keep you because you do something. He keeps you because of his promise. That's why. He keeps you because of his promise. And if you start believing something else... Like, well, if I don't do the right things, he'll let me go? What kind of theology is that? That's hopeless theology of a God who's powerless to keep. Oh, no. He doesn't keep you by works either. He keeps you by his promise. Abraham was getting a bit hopeless. I mean, he's 100 years old. 99 to be exact. Lord, how am I going to be the father of many nations? You say it's not Ishmael. Hopelessness. Y'all feel a little bit of that yourselves? Is there no hope? 
Is there something that doesn't exist there? Through faith, I cause to exist what does not exist. Hope in Christ. Yeah, something we'll come across here in a couple of chapters. We're going to come across this thought. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Anybody want some newness of life? I mean, even if you're a believer today, don't you need newness in your life? We constantly need it. Anybody ever get down? Anybody ever find yourself in a circumstance or a situation that you deem hopeless? I want you to know the one who calls into existence that which does not exist is capable of doing that. But I want to ask you a question. Are your plans for newness based on what God has promised to do or are they based on what you can do? Are they based on what the world says to do? Are they based on anything but the Word of God? I want you to know justification by faith is more than salvation. It's everything. It leads us to walk in newness of life. And we tend to define what that newness is. And I want you to know that God defines what that newness is. And it's holiness and it's obedience and it's godliness. It's to do what God has commanded us to do. And you will not find newness in the things of this world. You will not find newness in your own human plans. You will find newness in believing the promises of God. And those lead to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your promise. And thank you that it rests on grace. Something immovable. Thank you that it does not depend on what I do but on what you have done and me believing what you have done so God I pray Lord that you would help bury this seed in soil that is good that lives would be made new through the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus alone and nothing else. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.